Hello and thank you all for joining me for another episode. Um, welcome everyone in chat. Let's see. Oh wow, Falcon, Foxon, Patient Zero, Rondon, Revised Sociology, Stiant, Stiant, and Alien Honey. I hope I'm pronouncing that uh, correct. Wow, thank you all for coming. Um, I have quite an episode in store for us today. I have to be honest, it's another thick one. So, uh, you know what, let's uh, dive right in. Let's go right in. As always, if you have any questions along the way or anything, feel free to post in chat and then I uh, comment on them every once in a while. So, last week we spoke about basically the, the, the tales and the creation of man and uh, part of the history of the Anunnaki leading up to it. And so today we're going to carry on, but first we're going to go, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into the tale of the creation of man and compare it with the uh, Old Testament's Adam and Eve uh, story. So, ah, before we go any further, last week, I can't remember who asked the question, but I think he's not here in chat now, about the timeline. And so I uh, correctly stated that it was 40 shahs. Each shah is 3,600 years uh, from the time the Anunnaki landed. I incorrectly stated that it was 30,000 years. That's my maths uh, being off. I was only on wrong um, in one uh, order of magnitude. So that was actually uh, 300,000 uh, BC, around 300,000 years ago. And so that was the point where man was first, the, the Enki was first uh, beginning the experiments of creating man. The whole process took a long time. And in fact, what we're going to talk about today um, transpires over around 200,000 years, uh, more or less. And so let's get into it. Um, until now, the main source that I've been using for the, for the episodes has been Sitchin's first book, uh, The Twelfth Planet, um, with a little bit of sort of padding out from his later books um, in, the, in the series, the six books that he wrote. But this episode, um, I'm going to actually be talking from, taking from a different book, which is called The Lost Book of Enki. Now, this is a a different kind of book from the other that uh, Sitchin wrote. All of the others are really academic in nature and an attempt to uh, pose a theory and to back it up with evidence. In the lost book of Enki, however, Sitchin is trying to um, conglomerate and add together, put together all of the information that we have from the different cultures throughout the ages and telling the story as a, a narrative through the eyes of Enki, Enki being both the narrator and the uh, protagonist, um, basically retell the story from the arrival of the Anunnaki um, and their impact on humanity. And so it's a different kind of book, and I feel it's important to state that the information here is not 
backed up in the same way. That isn't to say that it isn't true, only that um, it is different. So if you want these books, I'm pretty sure are available online as PDFs, uh, The Lost Book of Enki. It's written as a, there's a sort of quick synopsis of Sitchin in his own words, and then the clay tablets translations uh, as they were written. So that's where a lot of this information is coming from. It obviously is uh, conducive. It goes well with the other information from the other books. It builds on that, basically. So we spoke about the first creation of man. And in that story, as we said, Enki had numerous iterations. And as we've uh, discovered from uh, investigation, Sitchin concluded that the special life essence, the blood of the Anunnaki that was used, was actually their DNA. And that this was some form of genetic manipulation to a very high degree. Um, in creating a new species that was a hybrid of the ape man and the Anunnaki. Now, an important point that I will very briefly uh, gloss over, just because it's it's something to think about. Sitchin talks about this a lot, and this goes into the history of the planet and the far far history before the Anunnaki were even around. Um, how can it be that the DNA of the ape man was genetically close enough to the Anunnaki to be compatible? Uh, if you would think about genetic crossings between alien species, it would have to be very, it would be hard pressed to imagine that there would be enough uh, DNA uh, similarity in order for it to be successful. And the answer to this is actually, as Enki discovers during his time on Earth and his scientific investigations, he uh, posits the theory that in, in the history that's told of the solar system, at one time, uh, the Earth was a much bigger planet. Um, and this bigger planet in the story it's told was sort of attacked by a foreign object, as it were, foreign uh, planet, and the impact split uh, the larger planet into two, and one of those parts became the Earth's moon, and the other part became what we know as Earth today. Now, this story, which appears on the clay tablets from thousands of years ago, is actually uh, very similar to what the scientific theory is about the origin of the Earth. It's pretty much uh, agreed upon that there was some kind of uh, impact in space and that the moon is actually a part of the earth that broke off and then uh, came into uh, uh, orbit. Yes, the ape man. <laughs> Sorry. it's uh, You'll have a few listens to the uh, song to, to understand. Um, so, sorry, I was just responding to chat. Um, in that impact, the theory is that Earth was a barren land, a barren planet before, and that the planet that uh, crashed into it was Nibiru, and that in that impact, as uh, devastating as it was, that was actually um, panspermia, I think it's called, an, an extraterrestrial form of life organism coming into Earth and uh, finding it hospitable enough, basically procreating here and beginning the uh, evolution of life on Earth. And so this both explains why evolutionarily there would be such uh, similarities physically as this sort of hominid 
um, because the evolution was uh, sort of very uh, the, the same beginnings, although this, the environment, the surroundings were different and it was a different timeline because the Anunnaki are obviously at least uh, hundreds of thousands of years uh, more advanced, evolutionarily speaking, but still the starting point, it is suggested, was the same starting point. And it is because of this that um, the DNA was similar enough for the genetic manipulation to be successful. So having gotten that small point uh, out of the way, Enki tried and tried again and eventually succeeded in, in creating a uh, first human, as it were, a, a, a you know, uh, hominid creature. Um, and it's described that this creature was very much uh, ape-like and animal-like. And so in the beginning, um, he was created in uh, South Africa where Enki's laboratory was and where he was uh, working. And so here we're going to cut to the Adam and Eve story. And we're going to see the Adam and Eve story, and I, I believe it's quite paradoxical, and yet it, uh, with Sitchin's explanations, it takes on a very different light. So for those of you who don't remember in its entirety, although it's obviously a very famous uh, story, um, God uh, created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the Garden of Eden, and he told them that they can eat from any fruit of the garden except for one tree, which was uh, the tree of knowledge. Um, and it's quoted as saying that if you shall eat from the tree of knowledge, you shall die. And then Eve one day meets the snake and the snake tells her that uh, why, why doesn't she eat it? And she said, uh, because we'll die. And he says, you won't die. The God, uh, God deity fears that you will become like him or like them. And um, if, you, if you eat from the fruit, you will become like the gods. And so she uh, is tempted and eats from the fruit and Adam uh, comes and she tempts him. This is all according to the Bible. And then uh, God appears to be wandering around um, the garden and Adam hears him and hides. All very confusing for the regular Jewish uh, theology. And obviously God finds him and says and, and notices um, that he's clothed himself and that Adam and Eve have become aware of their nakedness. And he says, uh, uh, I think, what have you done? And she says, uh, he says, I, the, the Eve made me eat from the fruit. And she said the snake did. And then he curses all three of them and banishes man from the Garden of Eden, uh, saying he will never be allowed in again. So that's the story that we're told in the Old Testament. and. I think it's a little strange because things seem to transpire very, very quickly. Um, Adam is put, Adam and Eve are put in this garden and they are allowed to live there uh, as they want. And yet in this garden, there is this one tree, the tree of knowledge, and God forbids them uh, from eating from this one tree, which is there. Now, this already is a little bit bizarre, but if we carry on, we see that God, uh, after lying to them, um, is sort of found out by this lowly snake. So all very interesting, and I've heard a lot of uh, different uh, 
um, explanations and theories as to the uh, symbolic meaning behind the story from psychedelic mushrooms to the civilization of man and I'm not here to uh, to necessarily debunk any of the others because I do believe in a plurality of uh, truths and understanding at different layers but after seeing, after reading and uh, learning the Sumerian version of the tale and seeing the similar points and obviously the extensions and uh, all of the extra information, the story does take on a very different uh, feeling. So, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there is a term uh, which is used, which is sort of knowledge and the verb to know. And in the Old Testament, it's used time and time again to mean oh, uh, to conceive, to impregnate, to procreate. Um, and I think it's actually known that this uh, verb exists, la dat, uh, dat. And so when we remember that and we read uh, the tree of knowledge, it takes on a very different meaning because now... The fact that in the beginning of the story, the Bible finds it important to note that Adam and Eve were naked, and at the end of the story, uh, to note that they have now become aware of their nakedness, um, immediately after the story, the next thing that really happens is that Eve becomes pregnant. In fact, it says that uh, Adam knew his wife. So this verb, this uh, sort of double meaning, as uh, has been the case a lot, is really the key, I think, to understanding what's going on here. So, in order to do that, we're going to have to go further back a little bit in the Sumerian story to what we were talking about last week. And what was in this story was that Adam and Eve were first created, and they were allowed to work in uh, Enki's realm in Africa. And it was later on that they were actually brought to the Garden of Eden. So what in the Bible is a very, very condensed story uh, that really does seem to be lacking some kind of information. Um, in the Sumerian tale is something that happens over a much longer period of time. So they arrive in the Garden of Eden and they're allowed to be there. But um, the seven... They were created seven men and seven women, and of them was the first two, but uh, it was actually 14 uh, humans in the Garden of Eden at that time. And they were allowed to be together, and it was expected that they would uh, procreate. But as we said last uh, week, um, with hybrids, there's a very common problem that they can't procreate. And so the Anunnaki discovered this problem and realized that for these 14, once they uh, reach you know an old age they're going to have to keep on birthing uh, more humans because the process that it was done by was having the fertilized egg implanted in one of the Anunnaki female uh, nurses birthing goddesses I think they were called and that was obviously not an ideal situation it was putting them at risk and uh, you know they were very much inclined to make this work and it was for that reason, unbeknownst to Enlil, that Enki um, decided to do something about this. Now, I'm going to pause here very quickly before we carry on, because <clears throat> part of this show, part of what I'm doing here every week, I have to sort of select and edit and cut out a lot of the extra information and decide what's pertinent and important, and uh, try and 
have it all into a cohesive tale and hopefully have it clear and understand it, uh, understandable enough so that even people who've never heard of these things will be able to follow. Now, in order to do that, I have minimized the Sumerian terms as much as possible. I try and put a word in here and there when it's crucial, but generally speaking, uh, there's a lot of names and Sumerian names, you know, the names of the different planets and the different characters, etc., etc. But I've tried to sort of keep it simple. And so I've minimized it more or less until now to be uh, Enki, Enlil, and Anu. Uh, Anu being the king of Nibiru, who isn't on Earth. Enlil being the commander, younger to Enki, but first true-born of both king and queen. And Enki being the scientist and hero. So at this point in the story, I have to introduce another character. Now, this is a very important character. Um, we're not going to say his name too often because he has, I think, one of the more difficult names, uh, Ninsh Gizida. You can uh, look it up if you want. Maybe I'll type it up in chat. Um, and Ninsh Gizida is the son of Enki. And if Enki is the hero of Sitchin's narrative, then Ninsh Gizida is the hero of Drumvelo Malkitsedek's uh, narrative. And so in the next section, um, we will actually be talking a lot more about his character. Uh, but for this story, we're going to keep it as simple as possible and only what's important. The important fact here, and we're going to come back to, en uh, to Ninsh Gizida again, is that it wasn't in fact Enki who managed to uh, do the necessary upgrade to evolve uh, humans. It was actually his son, Ninsh Gizida, and he was he helped with the process before as well, and he was also a scientist uh, as Enki was, and he was taught um, by Enki and became a rather proficient scientist uh, in his own right. So, okay, hang on. Before I go on, I saw that there were a few questions in chat, so I'm going to try and answer some of those. Uh, eating from the tree of knowledge, yes, before... Ah, uh, yes. Um... Okay, is he saying God put a naked man and woman together and explicitly told them not to get to know each other? If you're talking about the Old Testament, what's explained, what's told there is that they didn't know. So if we'll, if we'll relate it for just a minute to one of the explanations, if this is describing an earlier period in human evolution, um, it said that they weren't aware of their nakedness if they were sort of this truly pure, you know, being that was born, that they simply didn't have the conscious mind. Um, according to the explanation of uh, Sitchin, the knowing is specifically about procreation, but in the Bible, uh, it doesn't necessarily, uh, and obviously over the years, people have more often meant it to be some kind of wisdom or knowledge or awareness um, of some sort. So that's in terms of the uh, Old Testament. Um, okay, do you have the English Gematria chart? I need the one that puts Fox as 66. I don't. I don't know much about English Gematria, I'm afraid. Ah, patient zero, as always. Thank you very much. Okay, so uh, the whole tale, we won't go into it, but it involved Enki and two other um, Anunnaki having some kind of operation, some kind of, uh, you know, medical procedure that was quite invasive to take place. And so it was thanks to that, that this genetic upgrade, this new change was planted in uh, 
Adam in the first uh, creation, Adamu, as his name was. And uh, this was what changed man as a hybrid from uh, being barren to actually being able to procreate. And so with this information in mind, when we reread the Old Testament, it suddenly takes on a very different meaning. And so instead of that, I'm actually going to post a bit of a long quote. So I apologize. We'll, uh, we'll go through it for those who are listening at home as well. Um, so this is actually a quote from the Lost Book of Enki. And this is Enlil uh, wandering through the Garden of Eden, his home, um, expecting, as usual, to see the humans who are working and suddenly finding that they could, that uh, Eve was pregnant, this, uh, the first woman the, the, who, became, who was given this gift of procreation. And so here's the quote. Great was Enlil's anger, furious his words were. The whole thing was not to my liking, for acting as creators I had opposed. So in the beginning, when Enki first suggested the idea, Enlil was against it, saying part of his this, uh, reasoning was that they shouldn't, the Anunnaki shouldn't behave as creators. Um, the being that we need, it already exists, so you, Enki, saying all. All we need is put our mark on it, thereby primitive workers to fashion. Now the last bits of our life essence to these creatures you have given, to be like us in procreation knowing, perchance our life cycles on them to bestow. Thus the letting will with angry words speak. So here we meet this again, the tree of life, this, uh, this idea that Enlil talks about, and we're going to come back to this idea time and time again because it actually plays a very big part um, both in the story and in the continuation, but the different life cycles of the Anunnaki and humans, and the uh, basically the amount of time that humans were quote unquote allowed uh, to live. And so uh, we'll carry on with what Enki, uh, Ninma, who is another Anunnaki and Nishkizida, um, are summoned and they talk to uh, Enlil. And they say, what was the choice, my brother, to end it all in failure, Nibiru in doom to face its fate? And so Enlil answers, and I think this is the crucial part, as it were, um, then let them be where they are needed, Enlil with anger said, to the Abzu, away from the Eden, let them be expelled. And so at this point, uh, as we read in the end of the Old Testament, Enlil expels the humans from the Garden of Eden, from his place, and they are basically allowed to roam, uh, not free, but outside, um, and to continue procreating and to continue uh, uh, spreading, as it were. And so, in the story, at this point, basically, um, there's a lot that's been going on. And so... In terms of the state of the earth at this point, the climate seems to be changing. And this actually uh, plays a big part in the future. We'll see when we actually get to it. Um, but the situation on earth is that the climate changes to worse. There are droughts and there are floods. And uh, the state of um, basically the, both the Anunnaki and the humans on earth is worsened. 
And so it is talked about the, um, as we said, there was a way station. And so the gold that was gathered on Earth was taken to Mars. And from Mars, it was taken to Nibiru. So Mars was acting as a sort of uh, stop-off point for both. Um, and at this point, Enlil, because of the storms, the storms have been wreaking havoc on Mars and the station there is unable to operate. So Enlil suggests, in order to boost production as well, to send the gold straight to Nibiru from Earth. And so Enki uh, doesn't agree with this idea and he suggests instead to try and use the moon. And the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because on the moon, something very interesting happens. So Enki actually takes his son, uh, Marduk. He takes him to the moon with him and um, they stay on the moon for a very, very long time. They have a long interaction there and Enki studies the stars and a lot happens. The, I can't remember the exact number, but we're talking about thousands of Earth years. So um, it, during this time, the humans are continuing to um, basically procreate, but their situation is getting worse. And yet, when the humans were first used by the Anunnakis to work, um, I'll tell you what, actually, as I was reading the rereading the Lost Book of Enki, I saw this quote, and it was just so, I don't know, uh, heartbreaking, uh, I don't know, real, um, that I thought I really want to share it with you. And so in this description, this is the Anunnaki describing how the human workers were. And it just seems to me to be such a, how should we say it, like external description. So to be with the Anunnaki, they were eager. This is the humans. For food rations, they toiled well. Of heat and dust, they did not complain. Of backbreaking, they did not grumble. Of the hardships of work, the Anunnaki of the Abzu were relieved. And so two things here. First of all, this is a very interesting description of workers, obviously, since it's the same tale, but it does seem to bear the markings of a you know, new beast, a beast who is unaware um, of a lot of things and of the situation. As, uh, as uh, humans who are born into dire straits, we know that um, children will normalize and accept everything, anything that, that happens. Um, it's a very... Uh, frightening situation I think to think about but the other point is that the workers of the Anunnaki sorry the the work of the Anunnaki of the Abzu were relieved and so the Abzu was Africa so this is only a certain part and it was this point that was going on while Enki and Marduk were on the moon and so the Anunnaki and the rest of the land and in the Garden of Eden um, didn't want to carry on uh, with the work because they saw that the Anunnaki in Africa were basically getting uh, all of this help and they demanded uh, the same from Enlil and uh, it almost resulted in a mutiny and in the end because Enki wasn't there to satisfy a son of Enlil took things into his own hands and he was actually the one who freed the humans uh, and brought them uh, to the rest of, of uh, Mesopotamia of that time, to the whole, all the land. So the human beings have been living in these situations uh, more or less 
um, a lot of them working in the cities, some of them working in the fields, but a lot of them just sort of roaming around, as it were. And so it is during this time that they are still uh, very much animal-like. And so, okay, this is setting up the scene, basically. Um, okay, let me just have one moment to look. Half an hour, okay, fine. So, Enki and Marduk come back from the moon after their investigations. Uh, Enlil is, sorry, Anu agrees to Enlil's suggestion to set up, uh, to send the gold straight from Earth. And the human beings are working uh, for the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki currently are sort of enjoying their help and being relieved of the work. And during all of this, the situation on Earth, climatically speaking, is worsening. Okay, so all of these pieces are in place. Now, it's next that something of monumentous uh, importance happens. And this is when Enki is roaming around Africa, and he notices uh, the humans who are around as sort of reverting back and to their more animalistic ways. And he understands that it's through their procreation, which has now been happening for many generations, the Anunnaki DNA is weakened and the ape DNA, ape-man DNA, is, is basically taking more dominance. And so at this point, Enki decides to do something which is both very much in his character and uh, a crucial step in our human evolution. Enki notices two uh, beautiful human women by a river as he goes with his boat. And as the story goes in the Lost Book of Enki, he invites uh, the two women and uh, they uh, conceive. And after uh, Enki has his way with them, he is actually only uh, escorted with his helper and he tells his helper to keep this a secret and not to tell anyone about this. And so, and to keep an eye on the, on the two ladies. So after uh, nine months pass, um, the two women bear children and they, uh, the two children who are born are called Adapa and Tiamati. Now, uh, their birth was actually done in secret. And uh, it's said that if somebody asks his helper, Enki's helper, what, uh, where, where the people came from, he's to say that he found them in a reed basket um, by the river. So uh, that bears some similarities to another Old Testament uh, story. Excuse me. So I'd like to post another quote here, and this is the description of the new people, the uh, earthlings, um, and how they were different. So, slower to grow up than earthlings they were, much quicker in understanding they were, with intelligence they were endowed, of speaking with words capable they were. And so this is the description of Ad uh, Adapa and Tiamati, who were the first children of uh, Enki, basically. Uh, uh, not the first, but the first human children of Enki. And we see here, so just to uh, explain, slower to grow up than the earthlings means that they aged less quickly 
um, they, they stayed younger for longer. So that's closer to the Anunnaki cycle. Um, the Anunnaki lifespan was more or less 3,000, no, sorry, I can't remember how many shahs, but thousands and thousands of years longer because of the Niburian uh, cycle. And so the human cycle, although not that long, was longer than, a, than the other earthlings. And we can see that they were very uh, capable, much more than their earlier previous counterparts. And so Enki and uh, his, his wife, basically, who was uh, in charge of these operations as well, um, took a keen fondness to these two and raised them not only as their own, but for the first time uh, clothed them and taught them the different crafts and different skills and were uh, really creating the first civilized human beings. And so the name of the man, as we said, was Adapa. And it seems that what happens here is that the story in the Old Testament has both fused the two uh, sort of uh, first humans, as it were, into one character. The first human ever created, um, Adamu, and the first civilized human being, Adapa, and told the tale of Adam and Eve as those two tales. Because we see in the lost, uh, the lost book of Enki, Adapa and Tiamati, the two civilized human beings, grow up. And it's said that the Anunnaki were very anxious to see if they were going to be able to procreate um, and to conceive. And so they were very excited when uh, indeed uh, Tiamati uh, became pregnant and she had twins and as the twins were born they were came to be known as uh, Cain and Abel and most of us I think recall the uh, story of Cain and Abel and this seems to start the lineage of the uh, biblical Adam um, who we're told the generations lead to. So something very important happens with uh, Adapa. Obviously, he's a, uh, a very curious development, uh, first of his kind, Adapa and Tiamati, but I'm going to tell the story as it is, which is mostly talking about Adapa. Um, I think a lot of the, well, not I think, but a lot of the patriarchy that we see seems to have originated from the Anunnaki's uh, power system. So when... Adapa had grown old um, and uh, clothed and knowledgeable, etc. He was presented before the Anunnaki, and um, Enlil was immediately very suspicious and seems to be very sarcastically asking, you just found them like this out there by the reed or whatever? Um, and so he obviously suspects or knows that Enki uh, had a hand in this, as has been his M.O., um, throughout advancing uh, the humans much more than Enlil would think. But to a great surprise, um, uh, Enlil actually presses Enki and eventually uh, the truth is told, but Anu is told of the situation as well. And Anu then decides to invite uh, Adapa 
to Nibiru. And so this is the first time that anything like this has ever happened. The previous humans were much more ape-like um, than obviously intelligent enough to be able to be presented. And here Anu seems to be acting in a very unusual way. And uh, what's interesting is that both Enki and Enlil are very much opposed to this idea. Now it seems uh, from the story, and we'll see, a big part of uh, the Adam and Eve tale and indeed this story is this longevity, this immortality. So Sitchin has his third book um, actually talks all about, I think it's his third, I can't remember, I think Stairway to Heaven, all about longevity and uh, humanity's obsession with immortality throughout history and the uh, apparent evidence that we see to very, very few, but certain individuals being bestowed with the gift of life by uh, by God, as it is in the Old Testament, by the Anunnaki, as it is in the Sumerian or uh, different Semitic tales. So this idea of immortality is, I think, it's less important for me, you know, Personally, I think it's a very interesting subject and we'll, we'll get into it more in the further parts. But for now, it was a very big deal, as it were, for the people of that age. And what it was known as was uh, the gods basically inviting a human to join them. This was all based, as it were, on this first human who was ever allowed, who was Adapa. And so before Adapa is brought to... Uh, to Anu, to Nibiru. He is coached by his father, uh, Enki. And he's told a few things, and he's sort of, you know, soothed as you would <laughs> prepare a first-of-its-species kind going to meet an alien on a, you know, a different planet. Um, it's hard to imagine. But he tells him something very specific, and he says... Make sure you don't eat from the food that's offered and you don't drink from the uh, elixir that's offered to you. And so Adapa obviously agrees. Um, and the other thing is that Enki tells um, his two half-brothers, basically, to escort him. His half-brothers, one of them being Ninshkizida, um, whom we recall from before, and the other being uh, Dumuzi, who is a different character. But an interesting fact to remember is that at this point, um, Ninshkizida and Dumuzi were actually born on Earth. And so the first generation, Enki and Enlil, who landed on Earth, bore children. And some of those children were actually born on Earth who had never been to Nibiru, who had never met uh, their grandfather, Anu. And so this sort of opportunity both for Anu to meet them, uh, Enki seems to think it's a good idea for them to escort, but secretly he is actually sending them to make sure that Adapa A is okay, obviously, to escort him, but also that he doesn't eat or drink uh, from the food and the drink. And the question is, as Enki uh, answers, why why would he insist not to eat or drink? And the meaning is very clearly stated, if Adapa were to eat from the food, he would have uh, eternal life. And so it seems, as Anu was aware of this, that 
Anu was interested in giving the human an eternal life and basically, uh, I think, inviting him to live as one of the Anunnaki. Um, and Enki and Enlil both uh, uh, can't, can't uh, accept that at all. So Enki is, uh, finishes prepping Adapa and uh, his brothers come and get into the uh, spaceship. And the, the tale that's told is of uh, Adapa being uh, terrified of the loud um, you know, noise as they lift. And it's told of seeing the earth getting smaller and smaller until it's uh, disappeared. And it's said that he starts uh, panicking and uh, pleading his brothers to take him back and that he doesn't want to carry on. And it's said that uh, Ninjkizida is actually forced to... Uh, the, the direct quote, I think, is place his hand on his shoulder and the Adapa fell, uh, Adapa fell asleep, but uh, somehow to put him at ease, as it were. Um, and so they arrive and Adapa and the others meet Anu and the exchange uh, is obviously very important and ceremonial and Adapa is then told to return uh, to Earth. And so when Adapa uh, returns, humanity's status in general, this new being uh, who is civilized and intelligent, it, it actually changes quite drastically. And at this point, after Enlil had first um, expelled humans from the Garden of Eden, they are now allowed back into uh, the, that area, into Mesopotamia, into the Garden of Eden, where they first were. And it's in this place that the first city and the first uh, civilization are established, basically. So... This is a very uh, obviously important event and this is the beginning of all of the uh, characteristics that we recognize as modern humans, not in the sense of technology, but in the sense of the people who are like us, the homo sapiens, the actual uh, you know, artists and painters, etc. All of this culture was started in that first city and that first city we know was called uh, Sumer. I think it was actually called Shumer, and in Hebrew it's called Shin'al in the Bible, and in Sumerian it's pronounced differently, so I don't know, but uh, in, in yeah the Anunnaki's language, but for us we're going to refer to it as Sumer. So, let's see, how much time do we have? Oh, 17 minutes. Um, okay, are there any questions first before we continue? Let me have a look in chat because I haven't seen yet. I've got a little bit uh, more. But, uh, okay. <laughs> yes, Warp Speed definitely uh, does weird things. Um, okay. So, let me go a little bit further. And we'll open up the subject and continue next week. So, in this point the relationship between uh, people and uh, humans and the Anunnaki changes from the humans being really seen by everyone as work animals, as beasts, to actually being, as is said, in the likeness of the Anunnaki, uh, resembling them enough to actually be civilized and be taught. And so at this point, instead of uh, just working for the gods, there is a new term 
that we find introduced, and that's worshipping. And this word, worshipping gods, um, is interesting because in the Old Testament, the actual term in Hebrew is avodah, and that means work. So the work of God, which is a term that we know very much, very well. The origin of this, the worshipping as uh, work, is from this first, first city where the relationship was established between the humans who were looking up to and worshipping the gods and bestowing the gifts of the land and uh, doing everything that we know, um, and basically uh, being the workers that sustained both themselves and uh, the Anunnaki. So, when we look at the model of this first city, we see the very, very common patterns that we see in the power structures today as well. And these are all seem to be based what's known as the uh, sort of Eastern monarchy, the Eastern kingship, which was a leader who was ordained by the gods, who was sort of spiritually advanced, um, having a class of priests who were the interpreters, the specialists, and these two classes, as it were, um, were, the, were the mediators of the God's will to the people. Now, in this, obviously, uh, in today's world and with our history and everything that we know, this idea has been uh, abused, warped, and used to manipulate so many people that it's easy uh, to think of it as nothing more than a scam. But its origins in Sumer seem to point to the fact that um, the humans who were worshipping the gods and angering them and in a very lively relationship with them were actually uh, living these things much more honestly than we know. And so we see a lot of the power structures that we suffer from today originate in this first city and the cities that will follow. And so we're going to touch on this theme again and again as humanity develops. But for now, I want to talk about something else. At this point, there's another very important step that happens. So once Enki has slept with those two men, women, um, it is basically understood as I... Oh, was there... Sorry, was there dead air? Was everyone hearing the stream okay? Let me know if there are any audio problems. Um, once the Anunnaki realized that they could sleep with uh, the humans, the new humans, um, something changed. And as we see, uh, oh dear, hang on, let me see if there were, if I got anything to do with it. Okay. Well, we've got about 13 minutes. Yeah, so, okay, nice. So I'll just carry on with this. When the Anunnaki realized it, that was what opened up what we have seen in the beginning, which is that the sons of God saw uh, the female humans and they were beautiful in their eyes. Um, this is the situation that humanity has reached where there are multiple generations of Anunnaki on Earth and there are multiple generations of humans and these later generations um, are basically more willing to procreate together. Uh, 
And this leads to, uh, let's say, a lot of, I think, the mythologies that we know and the sons of gods and the mixing and half-gods, etc., etc., seem to originate from this very specific time where there was all of this promiscuity on, on the side of the gods, obviously. But this also seems to be something even more important, I think, in the history of uh, humanity. And that is that I think this is where we find the original, you know, uh, instigators of xenophobia and racism, things that we still see around us today. I think for, for most people, at least, I hope my listeners, <laughs> um, when we think of race, it seems so uh, ludicrous, as it were. It's not really based on anything uh, valid in, you know, in our real life. And the categories so blurred. And obviously, a lot of us can remember or think about the Second World Wars being with eugenics, one of the more proliferators. It doesn't matter about the subject. But if we think about the xenophobia in the time of the Anunnaki, with the gods and the humans uh, um, being together, um, here we see a very different mix of races. Um, this is actually a mix of species, as it were. And so with this uh, interspecies uh, uh, relationships, first of all, this species used to be a beast only a few generations ago. So it's less intelligent, it's less capable than the Anunnaki. We can understand how these things could, uh, you know, for the Anunnaki, from their point of view, even come close to being something along the lines of bestiality, because this being who is their creation is not aware of the situation as they were. And so this is, uh, you know, there is Enki, who seems to find no problem and in fact sees it as the key to the evolution uh, of humanity. But at the same time, let's say Enlil is playing the other card. And Enlil always sees humanities not only as inferior, as we've seen, but as a danger to the Anunnaki, both in giving them the ability to procreate and then with the fear of giving them uh, longevity. And it seems almost most of all, uh, almost more than anything else, the fear of the Anunnaki race mixing with the human race. And so that is the point. Okay, yes, that is the point that I think we'll end this uh, episode on. We've got ten more minutes. Excellent. Let me go through chat. So next week. Um, We've finally made it. Wow, I'm so excited. I've been, I thought this was going to be two episodes ago, but as I was going through the lost book um, and, and, and seeing all of the information, it seems very hard to sort of take away too much of it. So it took us a little while, but we've finally come to next week, which is going to be the story of the flood, the uh, one of the greatest myths uh, ever told, um, and indeed another very crucial turning point in humanity's uh, history. So we'll talk about that more next week. For now, let me just see. Oh, I've jumped up. If there's anything in chat uh, that I've missed. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. Okay. Ah. <laughs> 
you human spirit. <laughs> uh, well, you know, technically speaking, we are all Anunnaki. So I, I, I it's quite strange, and I had a, a conversation about this, but I, for me personally, I'm not going to tell anyone how you're viewing this. Obviously, for most, it will be something at least fantastical, if not mythical. But for me personally, I do view these things as um, part of our origin story and with it the effect. So uh, I think we've seen it in films a lot of times where someone is suddenly, suddenly becomes aware of their past or something they didn't know, etc. Et so obviously on an evolutionary scale, it's very different. But still, I think we all grew up on this tale of not just being part of the evolution and part of Earth, but being something special and unique and being something that was sort of, you know, destined to be here, as it were. And all of these notions, I think, of anthropocentric self-importance, when hearing these stories and, and, and having yourself uh, taken from the hero of the story to actually one of the sort of side characters, as it were, um, for the Anunnaki at least, it's a, it's a difficult position, I think, to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to deal with, at least for me. But I don't know, just so much of it. I mean, obviously, the physical evidence help a lot. And if it wasn't something that many, many people have sort of pointed to, it would be a lot harder for me to just accept. But really and truly, if I, once I started seeing our history and seeing humanity and seeing the the power structures and the paradigms that have basically controlled uh, and governed humanity over the last 10,000 years, this story, this narrative of an alien race with power struggles and, you know, um, patriarchy and uh, oppression and all of these different things coming to Earth and manipulating genetics and creating this really... Uh, unique species, um, it just seems to answer more questions than it raises for me personally. So yeah, I don't know. We'll uh, I guess we'll see in uh, in future. But yeah, so technically I am part Anunnaki, probably very very distant. Um, oh, it's great to see you here, Ganja Farmer. I think is this still the first time you've joined the show? Thank you very much for for being here. Um, yes, yes, yes. Ah, I don't know what your tribe is, but the same historical mystery um, for the North American people. The, Sitchin, in his books, goes over most of the world. I have to say that a lot of Asia, um, specifically the North of Asia, he doesn't deal with. And I think, I mean, so yeah, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to cover it all. We're trying to cover as much of history as we can and as many different cultures as we can. So obviously the cultures around Mesopotamia are all interlinked and it's much easier to connect the dots. Um, how do you get from Mesopotamia to South America, North America to Australia is another matter and yet Sitchin seems to have done uh, just that to a certain extent. And then we have the other researchers. And so Gerald Clark does amazing work with tracing through different cultures and different civilizations across continents, um, the gods and their workings and the uh, effects that it had on humanity. So really and truly, um, in my mind at least, these stories and these narratives are answering 
that's the thing a lot of different mysteries from all sorts of different places over uh, all over the world and so many of them seem to be very much in agreement these tales of the gods you know the gold uh, the smelting of it uh, a lot of these points you know ziggurats and pyramids and a lot of things that i'm not talking about here purposely um but when you if you go deep into these things and really have the lateral research you start to see a lot of different dots being connected so yeah i mean north america south america uh, europe obviously africa um, all of those were were sort of key players in the first seven books i think and then with the hindu valley and india and with china um, he does talk about it a little bit but there are other researchers who are more prolific about those areas um, ah, anti-comic blood said just imagine the many levels of history not known just in the last 2000 years absolutely i was just talking about this with a friend of mine and most of the knowledge not not just lost in history but actually destroyed um the christian uh, crusades uh, possibly you know more than the lives they took was actually the knowledge and the, the culture that they the cultures that they destroyed on their paths um, something that we can obviously never get back and uh, with the story of the ark um, we go into that also where because so little of this is known and so little of this has survived 6,000 years not you know 10,000 years or 50,000 years um, we have to be very sort of patient with what we find because we are not blessed with the adequate evidence that has obviously been uh, in existence in history and therefore if we get one clay tablet that mentions one thing one verse or whatever um it, it can we need to be able to glean as much of the information as we can from that and i think that's exactly what sitchin does and specifically the lost book of en uh, enki he really does put all of the work and all of his research and tries to marry it and and put a put it all together into one cohesive story which is the history of humanity so i'm very appreciative whether it's 100 percent accurate i would assume not um and obviously we'll get into some things that i disagree with sitchin in further uh, future segments but for now i certainly think it's a very very interesting perspective but let's remember, as I keep saying time and time again, um, this is the perspective of Enki. And so again, he is the hero. He's going to be portrayed in the positive light. The stories of Enlil portray, uh, portray Enlil in a positive light. The stories of Marduk portray him in the positive light. And a lot of these stories are retold with each of these gods playing the hero according to the culture. So that's why I think it's it's less important to be too caught up in the characters and who each one is and more be able to uh, see the overall story of what happened okay that's it from me thank you everyone for joining it's been a pleasure and uh, join me next week for another episode of the discomfort zone podcast mm -hmm.